I have three questions for you, football fans. Will the Packers season go the way of the Browns and 49ers? Did the Buffalo Bills add to their team by subtracting from it? And did you miss us? Alongside Holly Culberton, I'm Adashina Koike. It's the 2017 debut of Down and Distance on a lot of sports talk. And we welcome you to show number one of Down and Distance on a lot of sports talk for the 2017 NFL season. Thank you so very much for joining us and for being patient as we finally bring an NFL show to you in 2017. My name is Adeshina Koike, and as always, uh, I am joined by my co-host, Holly Culbertson, from Florida. Uh, Holly, how are you? How's the sun there? Is it actually good weather down there? this late um october day down there it's cold it's cold florida it's cold okay florida it's cold okay (laughs) so 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 you brought the weather from western new york and new york city down to florida yeah i sure did Ah. i think today's high is only 70 tomorrow 65 so that's a little chilly for for florida that's a little chilly i I was going to be a little cynical 70 65 but you know what that is a little chilly (laughs) yes yes so yes so uh we are going to talk about football but a little bit um of a I don't know, diversion from the way we usually bring the show to you. And uh, one of the things that um, I have to do at the very beginning of this show is to make a confession. Um, Except for one NFL game this season at the very beginning of the season, in week one, I have to fess up and mention that I have not really watched any live National Football League action uh, this season up until this point right now. And that's kind of, I guess, surprising since we are going to provide a detailed show about the National Football League to you every week, or at least we'll try to do that every week. But I have to mention why, um, as editor-in-chief of a lot of sports talk and a lot of sports talk.com, that I chose to, uh, for the most part, boycott uh, watching uh, the National Football League, or at least live, uh, at least watching it live, uh, the National Football League. I, I, I'm one of the many people that decided that I had had enough of everything uh, that the NFL was engaging in to tune out so many fans in terms of the uh, recklessness and mismanagement of the league in terms of um, handling uh, sexual assault cases and different cases with uh, their athletes as well as everything going on uh, with the protests uh, in the National Football League. And you've heard recent news from Russell Okung and, of course, uh, Probably the biggest story now uh, is the comments uh, by the Houston, Texas owner during the uh, meetings with the owners and the players last week um, using a very uh, using a metaphor dripping with uh, racial overtones. Uh, We can't let uh, the inmates run the prison. Um, uh, That's kind of the latest thing that's uh, uh, catching the news. And I, I, I pretty much just thought that, you know, the NFL, yes, they are a money-making business and a money-making machine. But the things that they do to protect the shield uh, was just turning me off. The uh, faux indignation um, after the comments made 
um, by uh, the current president of the United States and what could and should be done uh, to the athletes uh, if they protested during the anthem and his suggestion of what to do with the athletes and the uh, league responding, but not necessarily responding in a way where um, they supported the players. They just supported the fact that they didn't want um, uh, a certain uh, president of the United States to tell them what to do with their business. So uh, it, it, it turned me off well before that point. Um, and the only reason why I watched one NFL game uh, this season was because one of my good friends uh, is Beth Mowens, and she uh, did the play-by-play of the season opening game uh, in Denver between the Chargers and the Denver Broncos. So I watched the game to support Beth, um, uh, who's a great uh, broadcaster, and we need more women in broadcasting doing the National Football League and doing play-by-play, and she's great. Outside of that, I haven't watched the National Football League. I have read stories about it, not on NFL.com, and it's just disappointing how uh, the league, even though through its owners, even though they have the right to say, you know, we own a business and uh, your First Amendment rights aren't any of my concern, which is essentially what uh, the owners have pretty much engaged in. Um, but then I thought to myself, okay, if I don't do bring a, a different perspective um, uh, onto the website, maybe I might be missing something. So I want to bring you in, Holly, as someone who loves the game of football and who is also a veteran and uh, did time, uh, did service with the United States Marine Corps. Marine Corps. And I just want to get your perspective on uh, the charged atmosphere that has been created uh, with the National Football League. And I should mention the paid patriotism, of course, starting in 2009, where the United States government has paid the National Football League for paid patriotism and bringing out the players uh, for the national anthem, which is payola, uh, which is pretty much a criminal offense if you were to do it in any other platform. Uh, So I do want to bring in your perspective, Holly, uh, being a football fan, being uh, a veteran as well and have served uh, the United States in the military about the protests, your thoughts on the protests, your thoughts on the National Football League's response to the protests and everything else that the National League and National Football League has done that might have turned you off or not turned you off in terms of uh, continuing to watch the National Football League. Uh, So I do want to bring in uh, your perspective right now. What are your thoughts on everything that has gone on uh, since Colin Kaepernick's started um, his protest back in the preseason of last year. So, Holly, your thoughts on um, this atmosphere, uh, given the backdrop of the protest in the National Football League? Wow, that's a lot to take on. I okay, know. No, okay. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, you know, here, my initial thought, my initial reaction um, into answering your questions is, let's just begin with why the kneeling started to begin with. And... Um, I mean, as you said, Colin Kaepernick started this last season, and his reasoning was not for what the most recent recent controversy for the kneeling is now. His reasoning was to bring attention to Black Lives Matter, and now the most recent controversy is because of what our current leader stated. Um, so it's two different things that are going on here, which I, you know, I find find 
baffling because what's happening is there were a lot of players kneeling prior to this recent controversy. They were kneeling last year. No one said anything about it. No one cared. You know, some made some comments about it. Um, I think the only thing that I really saw any major comments about it last year were with Colin and with with Marshawn Lynch. Um, So I, you know, I, I didn't, they were doing this prior to, to this season and no one, no one said a word about it. They, they said a few things about Colin and they blacklisted Colin for it, which was wrong, but that was it. That was the end of it. So then you come to this year and, um, the leader of the free world, um, makes some really horrible comments about football players and not just football players, but black football players. Let's, let's be real and let's be honest about what was said. And, so that just fired them up even more. And you had owners, you had coaches, you had white players, you had black players, you had Hispanic players, you had all players, either kneeling or standing in solidarity with their teammates. I see nothing wrong with that. As a veteran, did, did not find it disrespectful, not one, one ounce of disrespect toward what I did. Because when I was in the military, my, my line of thinking, and it hasn't changed, and, and I'd be, I'm really shocked at veterans that find it offensive. You were in the service to protect them so they could do that. So they could, they could use their First Amendment rights, and they could kneel, they could stand, they could not show up for the national anthem. They could do whatever they want. That, that is what this country is built on. That is why there is a military. Um, so I find it offensive when veterans are saying, oh, they're being disrespectful to the flag. They're being disrespectful to the country. No, they're not. That's, that's why we did what we did. That is why we were in the military to protect those rights. And you can't pick and choose which first or which amendments that people can pursue. You can't pick and choose. And that's what our government's done. They're picking and choosing. They're, trying to tell a private business how to run their business. Can't do that either. Um, now, does the NFL have other issues going on that aren't addressed? Yeah, absolutely. You, you and I have talked about it at great length. There, there's a lot of sexism. There's sexual assault amongst the players that goes unnoticed. There, there's uh, racism in the, mili- or in the, in the NFL. There, there, there's a lot of issues going on in the NFL. But like you said, it's a privately run business. Um, so the government can't interfere. So what they do on, on the field is what they do. And you can agree with it or not. You can boycott it if you want. It's not going to change the NFL. I, 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 that's why I watch one. I enjoy the game Two, I didn't find any disrespect and I stand behind all those people for the original reason why they knelt for black lives matter. Um, the reason they're kneeling now is not the same and if anything, they took away from, and I, I blame the president for this, you took away from the real cause and what they were trying to bring attention to. Now it's just, I'm sorry, it, it, it's a media circus. And I, I, I applaud the NFL for now not showing the national anthem on television. They don't show the players during the national anthem now. So it gets rid of it. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, it kind of brushes it under the side. So, you know, it brings you back to what the game Um and that's it's it's frustrating um, as somebody that really wanted these players 
They have a, they're in a position to make change because of their status as athletes. And they were trying to do that. And that was taken away from them because of our government. So that, that's my view on it. I, I don't think, I think people made more out of this than it needed to be. Um, and, and, and you know, and I know boycotting the, the few people that, and, and I say few, meaning maybe there's probably a few hundred thousand, maybe a million, I don't know, yeah. that aren't watching the NFL this year. It's not going to make a difference. You know this. I know this. <laughs> not going to make a difference. <laughs> you know, the, the thing. It's, it's just not. Know, I mean, the, uh, the boycotts of the National Football League from viewers <coughs> like myself who boycotted because of the reasons that I had stated, including the uh, what I believe is the collusion that has continued to keep mm-hmm. Colin Kaepernick out of the league yeah. when other quarterbacks when other quarterbacks that have been signed uh have been signed and it just absolutely positively just baffles the mind until you end up thinking to yourself okay there's more to it than just um they think that Colin Kaepernick isn't one of the top 100 quarterbacks in the National Football League, which is an absolute joke. If anyone were to think that, uh, that Colin Kaepernick is not one of the top 100 quarterbacks in the league, that he can't be a third stringer on any of the 32 teams uh, in the National Football League. So in my mind, um, that is collusion uh, from the owners to blackball, as you mentioned, Colin Kaepernick, out of the league. And that had happened even before the beginning of the preseason and the regular season. So that, uh, that... also was part of the reason why I just said, you know, I just can't do it with the National Football League. Because we talked about uh, a couple of seasons ago, or maybe last season, when we talked about our biggest uh, surprises and disappointments. And you had started off and uh, had absolutely uh, thought the same way that I had thought, that your biggest disappointment was the league itself mm-hmm. um, in handling matters that involve players uh, and sexual assault and their inconsistency, recklessness, mismanagement of uh, all of those issues. Issues. But to have this happen this year, and, and you mentioned uh, the, 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 uh, the commander-in-chief, um, it's straight out of the divide-and-conquer uh, playbook uh, that a lot of autocrats uh, have done over the past. The, use divisive issues. And he has completely turned this into a wedge issue. And has, it's not the only issue that he has turned into no. a wedge issue, no. uh, obviously, <laughs> okay, to rally his base, he and those um, um, advising him. Um, and that only pushed me away from the league um, more in terms of not watching it, in terms of not giving it uh, uh, the ratings dollars. I know I'm my own little small uh, entity and may not be able to move the needle as much. Uh, But a lot of other uh, people have taken those stances, but it's all about controlling the narrative. The players from Colin Kaepernick on have explicitly explained why they are kneeling, what they're calling attention to. They have explicitly mentioned it. But yeah. that got lost yeah. this year. It that got, got completely lost this got year. completely lost because of those who tried to control the narrative. It went Correct. from that to, oh, you're being disrespectful to the flag. Let me rile up those who would be riled up uh, given that reasoning. Um, and it's such a shame. Um, but it is something that has, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the oldest tricks in the book, right? Uh, controlling the narrative. Um, and that's what has been going on. And to read the 
um, and see what had happened uh, before the game between the uh, Cowboys and Arizona Cardinals on Monday Night Football where the Cowboys knelt even before the anthem played and then Mm -hmm. went back to the uh, sideline as the anthem played. Even I knew then that was kind of faux uh, activism that Jerry Jones, who is oh, yeah. Yeah, the person um, who yeah. more than anybody uh, embodies what the corporate NFL is in terms of uh, the... Well, med- you're, you're correct. Yes. So here's, here's the thing. Here's also, the, I, I had a problem with what Dallas did, yes. you know, because it, he plays into that narrative. He He's one of those people, in one of the NFL owners that plays in the narrative. Um, craft, another one, same thing. It, it's hard to have any confidence in them. I think their integrity has been lost a long time ago, yes. Jerry Jones and Robert Kraft. But certain teams were genuine in their support. Seattle Seahawks. Yes. Uh, I have mad respect for Pete Carroll, and he's always stood by his team throughout all of this. When Kaepernick was doing it, he, he supported his team members. He knelt with his team members. You know, so gen- he was very genuine. His team was very genuine. Buffalo Bills, very genuine. Green Bay Packers, again, very genuine. There, there were certain teams that you were like, okay, they get it. And then there's other teams like Dallas Cowboys, like the New England Patriots, that it, it didn't come off as genuine at all. And so we have to remember, again, who runs the narrative in the NFL. And... The NFL, yes, I, I have a, a huge problem with Goodell. We we all know that. I, I've made that very clear. I think he should go. Um, I, certain owners I, that run the NFL, like Kraft and Jones, need to go. You know, they shouldn't have the power that they have to create that narrative. And you also hear you can. You you also have to blame the press. Yes. You know, th- this is a story. I mean, you work in the press. You get I, it. Yes. Um, this is a story. This is a, they made this to be this huge thing, and it didn't have to be. And you know what? It's over now. Just like the it, it, it everything in in America, it, it's it's five seconds and then it's gone, and no one's talking about it. It's done, and it's moved on. And that's that's not what needed to be done. That yeah. you want the press wanted to make this a story. Well, you know what? You better keep talking about it. If you want this to, to be a story, then make it a story. So what these players are kneeling for is the story, not that they're in retaliation of, of, of the, the man that's running our country. That, that's what the story needs to be, and it got diverted. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's my problem. You know, you, you've got to stick with your story and stay with it and keep, keep bringing light to it, keep bringing light. These players almost have now, they've now have put themselves in a place where they have a responsibility to make it a story, to make it so the the Black Lives Matter movement is, is forefront again, yeah. and they haven't been doing that either. So you, there's a lot there's a lot of blame you can put put on this. So boycotting the NFL, okay, go ahead. But everybody here involved with this is to blame for this to being the way it is. Yeah, and I do thank you for helping me uh, put a bow on uh, this conversation before we move on to the football side. The press uh, definitely uh, has its share of responsibility and blame uh, feeding into this divisive world, and that's what the press does. Uh, This is what he said. This is what he and she said. You decide. And that's not 
what should have been done here. Uh, they should have, the press and myself uh, specifically, should have focused more on what the players and the athletes are trying to highlight. And that is why we're having this conversation. And that is why we're going to have an addition to our show as we wrap up this uh, part of our first down segment. Um, the players are calling out uh, the systemic racism, the socioeconomic inequality, um, and the police brutality and inequalities in the justice system uh, that have disenfranchised poor people, specifically minorities, uh, African Americans, and middle class. And to wrap up this conversation and what we are going to do for each show um, at near the end of our first down segment is to provide a statistic from credible sources uh, that highlight some of the things that the athletes want to bring attention to, uh, to the population at large. And we're going to do our part, at least our own little part here um, on Down and Distance. So this is a segment called This Is Why They Kneel. So it's just a statistic with credible sources uh, highlighting some of the inequalities uh uh, systemic racism and inequalities that have disenfranchised uh, millions of people, specifically uh, from uh, uh, minority groups uh, and the poor here in this country. So uh, this is a study uh, for the National Registry of Exonerations uh, that was released in March of 2017. Um, and I'm reading from Vox.com that that study uh, showed, uh, their research showed, that black people are seven times more likely than white people to be wrongly convicted of murder. And to expound on that, that innocent black people are more likely to be wrongfully convicted of crimes than innocent white people. Seven times more likely to be wrongfully convicted of murder three and a half times more likely to be convicted, wrongly convicted of sexual assault, 12 times more likely African Americans will be wrongly, wrongfully convicted of a drug crime than innocent uh, white people. And for murders, researchers found that not just that black people were more likely than white people to be wrongfully convicted, but that innocent black people spent more time in prison before they were actually exonerated. Um, and that statistic is that if the defendant is black, they served 14.2 years on average in jail before they were exonerated compared to 11.2 years for white people who were wrongfully committed uh, of crimes. And there is one other statistic that I did want to mention that... Um, the evidence, and there's been a lot of studies that have shown that African Americans and white people use illegal drugs um, at, the, at about the same rate, but African Americans are five times more likely to go to prison for drug possession uh, as white people. And as I mentioned, there are 12 times more likely African Americans to be wrongfully convicted of a drug crime than innocent white people. So uh, that's a study that was done for the National Registry of Exonerations uh, back in March. Uh, I'm citing a, 
uh, an article on Vox.com. We put links to the Vox story as well as the PDF of the research done uh, for this study. So if you go on the website on a lot of sportstalk.com, we have the two links to those uh, websites where I cited those statistics from. So um, we'll do that every show before we go into our second down segment or before we start talking about football in earnest. We have not talked about football in earnest until right now. Are you, are you excited to talk a little bit about football right now? Yes. <laughs> All right. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. So to end our first down segment, I am going. To, we are going to talk about the Green Bay Packers, who are still in it in the NFC North. Of course, they're still in it in the <laughs> NFC North. But a couple of weeks ago, and I do have to mention that uh, my co-host has dealt with a little bronchitis. Okay, sorry. No, don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. Uh, not at all. So the Packers, 4-3 and three of the season, they're over 500. But of course, a couple of uh, weeks ago, they lost to Minnesota. And a big loss that they suffered was Aaron Rodgers uh, breaking his collarbone on a hit by linebacker Anthony Barr of the Minnesota Vikings and uh, Mike McCarthy, the head coach of the Packers, after the game was adamant. Brett Hundley is our guy. We're sticking with him. He's going to start. He's going to take all the first-team snaps. And Brett, this is Brett Hundley's team going forward. Well, in last week's game against New Orleans, <laughs> <laughs> all right, he completed under 50% of his passes, 12 of 25, Threw for a grand total of 87 yards, no touchdowns, passing, did have a touchdown rushing, threw an interception. The Packers scored just 17 points and lost to the New Orleans Saints 26-17. to So I ask you, Holly Culbertson, if Aaron Rodgers is out uh, for the eight weeks that he is projected to be out and comes back late in December, even with this 4-3 and three record, they're over 500, they have a bye week now, do you think that the Packers can stay afloat long enough for a possible Aaron Rodgers on his white horse returning at the end of the season to save the Packers at the end of the season? Or do you think that the Packers season is on a knife's edge and they are about to plunge onto the sharp end of the knife and that their season's only going to dovetail from here? Can the Packers stay afloat? Yeah, I'm gonna. You know, I'm looking at their schedule. I don't see how they're gonna do it. You don't. Uh, think so. <laughs> I don't. But I mean, unless Henley starts playing a lot better, um, you know, they they don't have a really tough schedule coming up. Yeah. But I don't know if he's able to handle it. And here's the thing. I mean, the Raven. They got Chicago, which they should normally beat. Um, but. We don't know that now. Mm-hmm. Um, Green Bay's defense is not the best this year at all. Um, and Rodgers was kind of carrying them through that. So, you know, the Ravens put up a great show last week. They Their defense looked like the old Ravens defense. If that keeps up, they're in trouble. Um, they got the Pittsburgh Steelers, who they look amazing right now. They, they, I think Pittsburgh Steelers is probably one of the best teams in football right now. So I, I don't see how it's going to happen. I, I just don't. Uh, one of their running backs has emerged, rookie Aaron Jones, yes, was named Rookie of the Week over 100 yards last week. He looked good last week. He did. But that's yes. not going to be enough. They, they just don't have the whole package right now, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, you don't give the Packers, I guess, the benefit of the doubt for being more than – I guess Aaron Rodgers, or is it, I know Aaron Rodgers is, is is the straw that stirs the drink, but and the Packers hadn't 
had not done well the last time Aaron Rodgers was out for a significant amount of time. I believe they went 2-4-1 a few seasons yep. ago uh, when Aaron Rodgers was hurt and was out for a significant amount of time. But but part of me tells me, given that they have the bye week this week, uh, and Brett Hundley can take more first-team snaps, um, something tells me that with the schedule that you mentioned, uh, with Chicago, in Chicago, coming out of the bye week, None of these games are easy, obviously. Okay, especially without Aaron Rodgers. None of Actually, these games. They, ha- they have Detroit coming out. Sorry, of the they have bye Detroit. Week. Sorry, Mike, Detroit. you're right. Detroit you're right. out of the bye week. Yeah. There, that home Detroit. against Detroit, then on the road against Chicago. Chicago, home to Baltimore. And you mentioned uh, how good Baltimore was in the Thursday night game. A part, oh. of, a part of me tells me that part of the reason why Baltimore was so good was because of their opponent, uh, the Miami Dolphins, who were shut out again. Uh, yeah, but you know, but we could t- that that's I mean, we I know we well, let's I, I know we're digressing a little bit, but you know, yeah. here's the thing with the Miami team, they 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 had a couple bad games. It, it's either they're on on form or they're not, they they pulled a Thursday, yes. and when they're on, watch out. Miami is 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 a good team. They're a good team, but. I, I don't know. I have no idea what happened Thursday. I, I I'm glad they lost because it helped me and my, my my rating or my standing. But don't count Miami out yet. Don't count Miami out yet. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I, I have to count Miami out only for this fact. Okay, you are right uh, that when Miami is good, they look really really good. Right. But when Miami is bad. They've been, they've been shut out twice, yeah, and the only reason why they were not shut out a third time was because the Dolphins scored a touchdown on the last play of the game, game. in the first meeting against the Jets that they lost. That's the only right. reason why they were not shut, not shut out three times this season already in yeah. seven games. Uh, but they do look good when they play to their, I guess, abilities. But yeah. th- that that's part of the reason why I have to count them out. It's They're almost like, uh, and I guess I hope I'm not botching this, uh, they, they're almost that uh, perfect little son or daughter or that little boy or little girl <laughs> that you might have. That when they're so good, they're such an angel, you just want to pinch their cheeks. But when they're <laughs> bad... Oh my goodness! You just want to tell yeah, me they to were stand bad. on the corner and don't move, okay? Until I tell you to. You are grounded. That's that's the Dolphins. You know they're yeah. just that on the surface. They, are. they They look, you know, that perfect angel at school, but then they're the one that's just like you know hurling spitballs and just acting a fool uh, when they're really, really, really bad. So that's part of the reason why I don't think I can take the Miami Dolphins seriously. I think okay. the, I think they're best quarterback on their roster is playing Matt Moore compared to Jay Cutler. Compared oh, he's to Ryan Tannehill. Much, I think he's better than, Oh, he's much better than Jay Cutler. <laughs> yes. Much better. Than Jay <laughs> yes. They so, need to keep him. Yes. yes. They need to keep him. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the reason why I just, I can't buy the Miami Dolphins right now, although they have a four and three record, they would make the playoffs if the playoffs started now. But, you know, Miami just scares me. So uh, we'll talk more about uh, the AFC East. I mentioned the Dolphins. I mentioned the New York Jets. Uh, We'll talk about another team of the AFC East that has a winning record. That's not the Patriots. So I guess you can use the process of elimination (laughs) as to what team that we're referring to uh, on our third down segment when we do the predictions for uh, the National Football League in Week 8. So that is our first down segment, and we thank you so very much for, I 
guess, making it this far on our first show of 2017. Uh, our second down segment, uh, which is our interview segment. Uh, the interview that we have for you is actually two years old, but it is very pertinent right now, given the climate in the National Football League today. Our interview is with the renowned sociologist, uh, Dr. Harry Edwards, and I got to talk to him in the fall of 2015 after the University of Missouri football team uh, boycotted and decided to not practice and threatened to not play a football game uh, late in the season in 2015 after a number of racially charged and motivated incidents on campus at the University of Missouri in Columbia, Missouri. And that action taken by the players and supported by the head coach at the time, Gary Pinkle, uh, led to the resignations of the school chancellor and the president of the University of Missouri school system. Um, and I got to talk with Harry Edwards about the importance of sports in terms of highlighting society's ills and to be a catalyst for social change over the years. So uh, this interview done in 2015 that was on the backdrop of the University of Missouri football team boycotting and the main reason they boycotted was because of the protests, and it was also in response to one of the students uh, at the University of Missouri who decided to go on a hunger strike um, after these incidents continued to happen on campus as well. So you'll hear about that at the beginning of the interview, and I wanted to give you uh, some background on that if you were not aware um, or did not remember uh, what had happened in 2015 with the University of Missouri. When you listen to this interview... You can juxtapose this interview with what's happening in the National Football League, and uh, the really it, the the similarities are striking. Um, even though this interview is two years old. So uh, Dr. Harry Edwards, renowned sports sociologist um, and professor emeritus at the University of California, Berkeley, uh, one-time staff member of the San Francisco 49ers back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, my interview from 2015 with him is next on our second down segment. We'll be back with you for our third down segment, which will be predictions on week eight. And yes, we'll talk about the Buffalo Bills um, on that third down segment. So uh, our interview with Dr. Harry Edwards is coming up right now. We will see you for the third down segment. Once again, this is Down and Distance on A Lot of Sports Talk. Joining us right now to talk more about sports and society is Dr. Harry Edwards, sociologist and professor emeritus at the University of California, Berkeley. First of all, doctor, thank you uh, so very much for joining us. Uh, we know what the University of Missouri football team did and its stance with uh, head coach Gary Tinkle as well. How do members of the team or the football team as a whole continue to build on the momentum of calling to action what, had been, what has been going on at the University of Missouri and not having this peter out? I think that the basic uh, challenge is to make sure that things uh, are not allowed to revert um, to the status quo ante. Um, this situation is one that is fraught with um, retrenchment uh, potentialities, uh, beginning with the head coach's 
statement about why he supported his athletes. Uh, he said he supported his athletes because a young man's life was at stake. Um, that's a pretty uh, final and definitive uh, statement because as soon as the uh, young man came off of the past, uh, then that situation was resolved. I'd have been much more impressed with the head coach's support of his black athletes if he had said, I support them because they are right. And then uh, following up on that, there would have been uh, the necessity of some statement concerning what it would take and what kind of commitment and involvement um, it would take uh, to correct the situation that generated the black athletes' revolt uh, to begin with. But once he says that I am supporting the athletes because the young man's life was at stake, that's a statement that he could have made when the young graduate student first said, I'm going to fast. But he didn't. He did it after the athletes rebelled and uh, then came out with the statement that he supported them because um, of this uh, fasting. Well, that's a pretty final uh, situation that brings everything to a close because the, his basic concern, the young man's life being at stake, was now resolved. So I guess the thing is we move on. The reality is that nothing has been resolved in terms of the overall situation that generated his athlete's involvement to begin with. And until those issues are, in fact, um, dealt with, not just in terms of uh, proposals and conversations and new appointments, but in terms of corrective action, then I think that the athletes are still potentially in the mix as far as uh, any kind of political action is concerned. So uh, there's a great deal of work to be done. How much the athletes will, would be directly involved, I think, is a, ma is a matter of their consciousness. But I think that uh, the constant pressure uh, toward retrenchment, the uh, return to the status quo ante is always great in these situations, uh, in these institutions. And unless you are very, very conscious of the dynamics of what is happening, you will end up right back where you were. And people will be saying uh, five years from now, geez, after all people went through, here we are right back in the same situation. It was something to watch, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I almost thought of Occupy Wall Street in a way, where there was that movement, and then there was eventually uh, retrenchment, and things, to me at least, almost went back and did go back uh, to the status quo after that. So you believe that the uh, coach's statement, Coach Pinkle's statement, was more hollow and reactive than anything else. Oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. Because if he was concerned about the young man's life, he would came out and made that statement yeah. uh, when he first declared that he was going on a, a hunger strike. Uh, the reality is that what generated all of this action uh, so suddenly was the fact that uh, you had these uh, black uh, football players come out and say, we will not practice and we will not play until the goals and demands of the student groups are met. And at that point, you had millions of dollars involved. You had the reputation of the athletic program involved, and the football program in particular, which reverberates to 
recruitment capabilities and so forth. And on top of that, you had uh, at one level the very real uh, situation where uh, nobody's going to come to see anybody play but the athletes. And if uh, a number of your star athletes and uh, the overwhelming majority of your black athletes aren't playing, uh, you, I don't, there's a, that's a no-win situation for the department. So, of course, he uh, reacted. Of course, he stepped up and said, I'm supporting my athletes. Uh, he really didn't have an option in that regard uh, because they're the ones who ultimately uh, have to play. But I think that the way that he did it was um, uh, to put final closure to their involvement at the point that the young man uh, was no longer fasting. And I don't think that that was the point of the, uh, or the only point of the athlete's uh, protest effort. I think that they want the circumstances generated on that campus over years uh, to be resolved and, and, um, and corrected. Dr. Harry Edwards, once again, joining us. And uh, we know about the great feats of athletes like Tommy Smith and John Carlos, uh, Muhammad Ali, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and what they did. And at the same time, on the, on the field as well as what they did to bring into light society's ills. American society's ills, and that was during the time of the Vietnam War and the Civil Rights Movement, and even throwing a Renee Richards for later after the Civil Rights Movement for LGBT as well. Uh, that was during a time when there was so much discord with the discourse uh, in uh, in America. Now, it almost seems to me that there is as much discord with the discourse with so many different topics, with politics, with women's rights, uh, with uh, race relations, with science, than at any point that I can remember. Now, I'm 33 years old, uh, full disclosure. So it almost seems as if there's, so, there's more discord with the discourse than at any time in my lifetime. Could it be cyclical where just like in the six foot 50s and 60s where athletes really use their platform to bring into light society's ills, that it could be cyclical given the tension and discord with the discourse in today's society in 2015 and going forward? Well, we have to understand that every generation ends up fighting its battles where you have a consistently systematic oppressive structure that are impacting people's lives. So you can go back to the collapse of Reconstruction in American society and the turn of the 20th century, and Jack Johnson arose, and during that period of time you had uh, also um, Jesse Owens and Joe Lewis who uh, gained their athletic prowess mostly in the national arena uh, because the domestic arena was so segregated and so uh, uh, totally oppressive. Uh, so you found Jack Johnson winning and, and a world heavyweight championship. You found Joe Lewis, uh, fighting Max Smelling, winning a world heavyweight, uh, uh, championship, uh, and, and, and draw, getting a lot of respect for his efforts in that international, uh, uh, theater. The same with Jesse Owens and the four gold medals at the Nazi Olympics. Uh, all of them, when they came home, they were either flat out oppressed and arrested, uh, like um, uh, Jack Johnson, or they ended up like Jesse Owens coming home from the Nazi Olympics riding in the back of the bus 
going to hotels where he was asked to enter through the back door, couldn't get a job, and so forth and so on. Joe Lewis ended up uh, being chased around the country by the um, uh, IRS and so forth. So their standard standing in the country was less than their status, than the status and respect that they had outside of the country. In the post-World War II era, and the rise of the Cold War and the struggle between East and West for hearts and minds in resource, resource and labor-rich third world countries, most of which were, uh, were uh, populated by people of color, uh, there was an effort to desegregate America in American apartheid. And so you had Jackie Robinson, who all of a sudden began to get some print in this country for not just his athletic prowess, but what he was doing in terms of desegregation. The same with Larry Doby in the American League. The same with um, uh, Marion Modley and Bill Willis at Cleveland and Kenny Washington and Woody Strode uh, at the L.A. Rams. Uh, the same with uh, Chuck Cooper and a number of athletes in the early 1950s who desegregated, uh, for all practical purposes, the NBA. Uh, so you had that struggle for access, not just the legitimacy, that uh, Jack Johnson and Joe Lewis and Jesse Owens struggled for, but uh, the uh, access uh, issue was what Jackie Robinson was involved in. Then in the 1960s, uh, Bill Russell, Jim Brown, Tommy Smith, John Carlos, Arthur Ashe, uh, going into the 1970s with Kurt Flood, most certainly uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, they struggled for dignity and respect. This generation is standing on the shoulders of those giants, and you could see it coming with the um, uh, hoodie photo that was sent out over the social media by LeBron James and the Miami Heat in the wake of Trayvon Martin's killing. Then you look at the Don Sterling situation when Steph Curry and that group at the Warriors said they were not going to play against the Clippers and the Clippers players said that they may not play either if Donald Sterling is still the owner. Then you had, of course, uh, the um, shooting of Mike Brown and the uh, I Can't Breathe t-shirts coming out of the Eric Garner situation, the Black Lives Matter situ- uh, uh, coming out of uh, the uh, shootings of uh, blacks by police officers. Uh, you had the Hands Up, Don't Shoot t-shirts that athletes were wearing. Uh, the five uh, um, St. Louis Rams football players who ran on the field. So all of that was building up to this thing at Missouri. And it's, it has a long history of it. Every generation ends up fighting its part of this battle. And there are no final victories. Jackie Robinson wasn't the final victory. Smith and Carlos wasn't the final victory. Uh, the uh, hoodie incident. Uh, with the Miami uh, Heat team was not a final victory. There are no final victories. And so as long as the situation is oppressive, athletes are going to respond. This is just the latest, and there will be more. I absolutely guarantee it because there are no final victories. And in the face of this continued effort to retrench, to return to the status quo ante uh, struggle going forward, is absolutely unavoidable and inevitable. How much of the no final victory sentiment, how much does all the money at stake with advertising, 
TV contracts, just all the money at stake. And maybe I'm uh, speaking more towards pro athletes who have the advertising uh, uh, money and revenue that they get. Um, have we? How much of a factor is money at stake and having those uh, stances? How much of that plays a part in the no final victory sentiment? Well, it, 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 it's, it's absolutely, uh, absolutely a part of it. Uh, this whole thing that we're seeing at Missouri uh, is a struggle that involves who controls the power. Uh, this thing could mark a shift in the power relationships between athletes, collegiate athletes, and the people who are making all of the money uh, off of these athletes. Uh, some uh, ridiculous uh, sportscaster made the statement that the, the re- only reason that the Missouri football players were speaking up and involved in this situation at all is because they are a four and five football team. Uh, and if they were nine and oh, they never would have said anything. Again, this is an effort to uh, regain control of the definitional authority of the situation. The reality is if the Missouri uh, football team were 9-0 and rather than 4-5, and the only difference would be rather than taking two days to get rid of the president and the chancellor, if four athletes in key positions had spoke up and said, we agree with the protesters and we're not going to play a practice until uh, these two people are gone, they would have been gone uh, in 15 minutes rather than 48 hours because of the money that's at stake. So the bigger the money is, the greater the struggle over uh, control and power in that situation once all parties are engaged in that struggle and athletes have entered that struggle. The money is so big at both the collegiate and the professional level that the uh, uh, stakes have expanded tremendously. And that's the big, if you will, black gorilla that they see in the room. Suppose it's not just that these athletes would boycott a game that they are concerned about, that they would boycott practice that they are concerned about. It's the fact that they might threaten to do so. In the same sense that it's not that a country might uh, use the nuclear weapons that they have, it's that they might threaten to do so. And what kind of a situation does that put their uh, opponents in? So if athletes are in a position where they might threaten not to play in a national football, NC2A football championship, if they were in a position where they would threat, where they could threaten not to play in a Final Four uh, NC2A basketball championship playoff. That alone de- uh, denotes a shift in power. And with the money and stuff that's, a, that's, that's at stake, in the collegiate ranks alone, forget about the professional ranks, in the collegiate ranks, yes. uh, that's a lot to be concerned about. So they're going to have to do something uh, to, uh, to deal with this situation, to assuage the problems that these athletes are concerned about, and eventually they're going to have to do something about the concerns of the athletes themselves in terms of sports, as far as, especially as far as some type of reasonable compensation 
for the millions of dollars that they're putting into the coffers of these institutions, and many of them getting absolutely nothing in return, not even a college degree. So a lot of this stuff is on the table. It's unspoken of now. They're going to do everything they can to return things to the status quo, but the reality is that that genie is out of the bottle, and it's out there, and they have to be concerned about where does it go from here because that big black gorilla is sitting right up in the room and cannot any longer be ignored. If there are no final victories, then the athletes organizing and the breaking away from the NCAA to meet the needs of these athletes, is that the best, I guess, alternative? Well, that, that's just another stage in the evolution of the situation. Okay. Uh, these circumstances, you know, I said something in, in, in 1967 uh, after we uh, shut down a football program, uh, a football game at San Jose State, a game that was scheduled between San Jose State and what was then called Texas Western today, uh, University of Texas El Paso, the game was actually canceled. Uh, the first time in the history of the NC2A that a game at a Division One school had been canceled over racial turmoil on campus. And I made the statement at that time, people were saying, well, the, the school uh, canceled the game, they uh, desegregated the fraternities, they desegregated all of the housing, they got rid of programs where if you were black, you had to have a black roommate in the dormitory because they would not put black and white together. Uh, they got rid of all that kind of stuff. They got rid of the segregated majors. Uh, so that blacks could major in something other than uh, physical education, social welfare, and probation and parole, which were the jock uh, majors at uh, San Jose State. Uh, now, uh, now that this has been done, is this the end of it? And I said at the time, the circumstances that we are involved with are diverse and dynamic. The struggle, therefore, has to be multifaceted and perpetual, and there are no final victories. Uh, as long as we are in a dynamic, ever-evolving, and diverse set of circumstances, the struggle to deal with those circumstances uh, is going to be perpetual, and there can be no final victories. Every generation fights its battles. Uh, we're fighting the same battles that... Jack Johnson and Jesse Owens and uh, Joe Lewis was fighting. Jackie Robinson and Larry Doby and Kenny Washington, that group, they fought the same battles that they were fighting. We're fighting the same battles that Jackie was fighting. It's just a different stage and phase of the battle. And as long as our circumstances are dynamic, as long as our challenges are diverse, the struggle will continue. This is just the latest, and they will not achieve a final victory either because the circumstances are ever-evolving. The challenges are ever-changing. Uh, and, and if you look at, if you look at sport, sport recapitulates society. And so if you today, uh, despite the marches on the Selma Bridge, the marches to Washington, D.C., and all the rest over a Voting Rights Act, we today are fighting for voting rights. Yep. Uh, 
despite all of the struggle over women's equality and Roe v. Wade, today women are fighting still for uh, the uh, medical services uh, that are even on the books as legal, but that struggle continues. Education, we fought uh, through Brown versus Board of Education, Topeka, Kansas, and marches and sit-ins and everything else, uh, segregated education, but today the overwhelming majority of students of color go to schools that are uh, either uh, uh, overwhelmingly uh, students of color or all students of color. And so uh, we have to understand that, you know, people are saying, well, geez, after all what Dr. King did and we're still right back here uh, fighting for decent housing, hey, you know what? The struggle uh, is perpetual. There are no final victories. We will be fighting for uh, voting rights uh, when my grandson gets to be my age and I'm 73. So at the end of the day, this struggle goes on. The only thing that we have to keep in mind is that each generation has an obligation to fight the struggles of its era because if they don't, then the next generation not only has to fight their struggles, they end up having to fight the struggles that their fathers and mothers should have fought as well. That's the only sin. The other thing is that every generation has to speak out and speak up, whether you're an athlete, whether you're shining shoes, whether you're president of the United States. You have to speak out and you have to speak up about the issues of your era. It is a simple fact that silence has always been evil's greatest and most consistently dependable ally. You must speak up, and you must take a stand. Dr. Harry Edwards, thank you so very much for this conversation and discussion. Uh, we definitely hope to catch up with you and speak with you, whether in an official interview capacity or uh, just in a more casual, leisure uh, type of sense. Uh, Dr. Edwards, thank you so very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And welcome back to Down and Distance on a lot of sports talk. And uh, can't thank Dr. Harry Edwards enough, even though, again, the interview was a couple of years old, uh, just to be able to hear his thoughts on uh, the effect sports has on igniting social change and the no final victory sentiment that uh, the next generation not only fights its battles of its generation, it continues to fight the battles uh, uh, of previous generations and the people that came before them uh, in sports and in society. It's just, just a wonderful, fascinating interview, and getting a chance to talk with uh, Dr. Harry Edwards back in 2015 was, uh, uh, was just a pleasure. And actually, that was a condensed version of that interview for uh, the entire uh, interview, uh, Go to the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast on iTunes or go to our podcast section on a lot of sports talk.com. That was episode 23 
titled No Final Victories back on November of 2015. So you can listen to that podcast in its entirety uh, on iTunes on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast or go to a lot of sports talk.com and go to the podcast section. We have all the podcasts there and head to the one in November of 2015 titled No Final Victories, episode uh, number 23. And uh, before we start our third down segment, uh, I mentioned uh, a statistic uh, in terms of African Americans being wrongfully convicted of crimes and the uh, disproportion compared to uh, white people who are wrongfully convicted of crimes. There is one caveat to the study. The study only looked at raw data for exonerations and, in some cases, the general population, according to Vox.com. The researchers stressed that their data likely does not cover all innocent people in prison, given that there are likely thousands of innocent people in prison who have yet to be or never will be uh, exonerated. So I uh, did want to throw that out there as well. I meant to do that after I set the statistic on the first down segment, but I want to make sure to clarify that uh, here uh, as we begin our third down segment. And it is a third down in eight, eight games that we will review and make predictions on for week eight of the National Football League. And if you have been a listener to our show the past uh, four years now, 2014, 15, 16. Wow. Jeez, man, our time does fly when you're having fun. Yeah, right? it does. <laughs> right. Uh, if you have... Uh, uh, been a regular listener, of course, you will definitely know that I always dominate this section of the show, the predictions, always. There are no statistics <laughs> to prove that, um, but just just trust me on that. Okay, <laughs> so, okay, we'll start anew. Okay, maybe that's not the case, but it'll be the case in 2017. I guarantee it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. So the first game uh, that we will review is a one o'clock game in Western New York between two of the original members of the American Football League in 1960: the Oakland Raiders against the Buffalo Bills. The Raiders three and four. The Bills four and two. The Bills coming into this game winning three of their last four games. The last game, a 30 to 27 win at home against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And right before this show started, almost less than 24 hours before this show started, the Bills made waves uh, by trading Marcel Darius to the Jackson. Jaguars for a conditional draft pick, a six-round draft pick that could become a fifth-round draft pick, depending on Marcel's performance in Jacksonville. For the most part, it is a cost-cutting move. The Bills, uh, they're going to save almost $6 million off the salary cap this year, another $2.5 million in 2018. That's what they're going to shed off the books by trading Marcel Darius, which they did to the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Jaguars, who have one of the better defenses in the National Football League, get one of the better defensive tackles in the National Football League. So uh, it could be a trade that benefits uh, both sides. Uh, so the Bills 4-2 with positive momentum. Speaking of positive momentum, that's what the Oakland Raiders had after the first two weeks of the season. They won on the road against Tennessee, went back home, defeated the New York Jets. Marshawn Lynch was dancing on the sidelines in the second half. So much fun being had in the Bay Area. And then the Raiders lost four straight games. Derek Carr hurt his back. And going into last Thursday's game, 
for the Raiders and the Chiefs. The Raiders, if they weren't in full crisis mode, they were very, very close to being in full crisis mode and very close to being 2-5. and five. But the touchdown on the last play of the game from Derek Carr to Michael Crabtree saved the Raiders' bacon. The Raiders defeating the Kansas City Chiefs by one point last Thursday. The Raiders 3-4. and four. The Bills, 4-2. and two. Before we get to your prediction, Holly, your thoughts on the trade of Marcel Darius to the Jacksonville Jaguars? Um, good trade. Good trade. Um, Darius is injury-prone. He has a – our defense is solid without him. Um, he was injured the first two games, I think, of this this um, this year, and we did fine. Um, he's a good player, absolutely. Probably one of the best we've ever had. But he's also, like I said, very injury prone. He gets injured a lot. Um, McDermott has made a point of cleaning house uh, in the Buffalo Bills and getting rid of the old and bringing in the new. And you can definitely see that with this trade. He he wants young players. He wants a young team that can go far. And everything I've seen from McDermott so far, positive, positive, positive. I've liked I've questioned some of the moves he's made. Um, I questioned him trade, you know, getting rid of Robert Woods and in in the receiving core. And but you know what? It, he, he's done okay. You know, the the decisions. You know, we're an up and coming team again. But this is the most positive I've seen us in the rebuild in years. Yeah. Um, there's you can tell there's a different. Um, I, I'm at a loss of the word, but the, you can you can see, you can tell the team it, is different. Is you can a, see it. Do you think there's a different vibe watching? The yes. Bills oh yeah, much. Compared I mean, to past seasons. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And you know they're closing games. I mean, yeah, we we we've lost. You know, uh, two games. Two. Uh, so that, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> we've lost uh, just two, two, and it's almost I, November. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. Um. You know they're they're figuring out ways to win games, and our defense, our defense. I, I can't even believe how well we're playing, and we're playing with a lot of rookies. Um, and when players are getting injured, the rookies are stepping up, and it's it's a different vibe in Buffalo. Um, you know, I'm hopeful for a playoff spot this year. I mean, we're number five in the AFC standings right now. We're only half game behind New England, and New England's beatable, very beatable this year. So, you know the. There, there's hope in, in Western New York. Uh, you know, there's there's probably more hope than we've seen in a long time. So I, I'm very excited. I think the trade was a good move. I, I really do. You mentioned do. you mentioned Sean McDermott and their yeah. new general manager Brandon Bean as well. Oh. They have committed to restructuring uh, yeah. this Buffalo Bills roster uh, with Robert. Woods and Sammy Watkins and Marcel Darius uh, uh, gone. Uh, And the Bills, as you said, they're closing out games. They're doing uh, what they need to do to put themselves in a position where they are right now, being at four and two. And I mentioned the three out of four that the Bills have won. Uh, You know, they beat Tampa, not a bad team, although they're at two and four. We'll talk about the Buccaneers uh, later on in this uh, segment. Uh, The other two wins were against the Denver Broncos at home, um, and they went on the road and defeated the Atlanta Falcons at the uh, new Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And uh, again, I do have to mention that all of these things uh, that I'm mentioning about football and talking about it, they're anecdotal in terms of 
me reading about uh, these mm-hmm. different games. Now, specifically, you told me on the phone after the Bills won, and you forced me to say that the Buffalo Bills were in first place. I'll never forget that. You forced me to speak those words to you. That was after week three. <laughs> All right. I told you. Yeah, yes. after week three. No, I, I, yeah, week three, <coughs> uh, one, two. No, it was after week four. They oh, the the, it was. Yes, that's right. Because you was mentioned four. to me that there were a couple of controversial calls uh, yes. that went the Bills' way. Um, I ended up seeing one of the highlights, and it was the fumble return for a touchdown uh, where Matt Ryan was hit um, and lost the ball. As he was throwing the ball, it was ruled a fumble, and after review, uh, the call stood on the field as a fumble. It shouldn't have. It shouldn't have. That was an incomplete pass. That was a clear Mm -hmm. incomplete pass. Mm -hmm. Matt Ryan had possession of the ball as his arm was going forward. Oh, yeah. I know, and I told you that. I I told you that 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 was a bad call. Then I saw it. And uh, it was confirmed. But yeah. uh, that was the play that uh, sparked the Bills come from behind victory in that game against uh, the Atlanta Falcons. Of course, are the Bills apologizing for No. Are you apologizing for that? No. <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, so the Bills are 4-2 with a good chance to go 5-2. and two. The Oakland Raiders, this was supposed to be the year. Nope. The Raiders were going to dominate, not necessarily dominate, but win the West or make the playoffs and take that next step after making the playoffs last year, but losing uh, Derek Carr right before the end of the season and flaming out uh, in the playoffs. Uh, but after the first two games, things look great. But uh, <laughs> four losses in a row. One of those games, uh, Derek Carr did not play because he was hurt. Former Bill E.J. Manuel had to be mm-hmm. the center uh, in his <laughs> stead, and that didn't go well uh, no, against never uh, does Denver. For EJ. Never does for <laughs> right? EJ. But do you think that, regardless of the opponents, do you think that the way Oakland won last Thursday by scoring a touchdown, last play of the game, extra point good to win the game, could that serve as a season? and saver given that Denver is still in that division even though they're struggling a little bit Kansas City's in that division they lead the division but they've lost two straight games um, do you think that the way Oakland won last Thursday could be um, a catalyst could be a season saver or do you see more red flags with this Raiders team I, I see more red flags for this Raiders team and the reason I say that is you know uh, last year they made it a point to say, the Raiders made it a point to say that they were building their team to beat the New England Patriots. They, they, they came right out and said it. They, they're like, we are building a team to beat the New England Patriots. Because they said they're going to make the playoffs, we're going to beat the Patriots, and yeah, that didn't happen. Obviously, Carr got hurt. Carr got hurt again. Carr's still hurt. That's, there's a problem. He's, yeah. still, he's still hurt. Um, he's not playing as good as he could because he's hurting. Um, bringing Marshawn Lynch in, I, I, I was like, well, that, that it might be good for them, you know, but teams know how to stop Marshawn Lynch. Um, and they have been so in, in Oakland, I, you know, watching the game last week, Oakland's defense is not as good as it was last year. It just isn't. And so they're, they're bleeding a little bit. We'll, we'll see. Um, they have a lot of tenacity, so, you know, I, I don't count them out. Um, but I don't think they are going to be the dominant team that everybody thought they were going to be this year. Yeah. They're obviously, I, I just don't see it. I, I don't. You mentioned the defense. Oakland ranks 26th in the yep. National Football League in total yep. defense. Khalil Mack last year was Defensive Player of the Year, and he yeah. hasn't been as impactful this season as last nope. year. Uh, so I guess I am figuring, I guess I think you think the Bills are going to win this game? 
Yes. Okay, so I'll, just, I'll put you down for Buffalo. Okay, yes. Something tells me. Something you know what I think is going to win this game okay. is the Buffalo defense is going to win Buffalo this game. Buffalo defense is going to win this game. A Buffalo yep. defense that, even without Marcel Darius really featuring, only allowing 84.5 yards per game on the ground. The past few years, the Bills have been fairly stout um, in stopping the run. I guess that's part of the reason why uh, they thought Darius could be expendable, that they could still right. be a good run defense without him anchoring the run defense at defensive tackle. So um, something tells me, though, that Marshawn Lynch has not necessarily a really good homecoming, not necessarily a homecoming, but, of course, a former Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Something tells me that Marshawn Lynch has a pretty good day against this. I, 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 I do, too. I, I, I do say that I do think he's going to have a good day, but I also think LaShawn McCoy is going to have a good day, too. I, I think that right. both running backs are going to have great days. Yeah, the, the, um, yeah. The, the Raiders defense does worry me a whole lot, as you mentioned, and that's something that I uh, didn't take into consideration as much in making this prediction. But given that I think Marshawn Lynch will have a pretty good day, and uh, given that I think Derek Carr, as you mentioned, not playing at 100%, but these games for the Oakland Raiders, given uh, the way Kansas City has been playing, given that Denver's not going to go away, uh, it, I don't want to say it's urgent for the Raiders right now at this point of the season, but we're almost halfway through the season, and something tells me that the Raiders are going to come away with the rare 10 a.m. local time victory on the east coast ah. uh against the buffalo bills it's it's not to be a contrarian okay just to say <laughs> your bills are gonna lose okay but i do think uh that um the uh, raiders are gonna win i know you're all choked up about it all right yeah. so um yeah so um so i'll make sure to text you tomorrow after the win okay okay, I'll, 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 okay. <laughs> fair enough okay so um, so, uh, that's the Raiders and the Buffalo Bills. We transition to the NFC for game number two. It's the, uh, Chicago Bears on the road taking on the New Orleans Saints. The Chicago Bears are three and four. The New Orleans Saints are four and two. And the Chicago Bears are very, very, very curious. Um, they're three and four of the seasons. And with the loss of Aaron Rodgers, uh, for the next, couple of months Chicago does have a chance in the division although they don't necessarily have the offense to really no, uh they don't. too many they, teams. they have a chance but they yeah no but Come on, they've, no. they've won the last two games <laughs> yeah, uh you mentioned did. I mean the Dolphins went into Baltimore and got shut out 40 to nothing the Bears went into Baltimore a couple of weeks ago and defeated the Baltimore <laughs> Ravens 27-24 and then last week's game against the Carolina Panthers they defeat the Carolina Panthers, 17-3, to despite the fact that the Bears, on offense, gained a grand total of 153 yards, 85 passing yards, 68 rushing yards. They only converted 2 of 11 third downs. How did they win 17-3? to Well, both their touchdowns came on defense, and that's something yep. that I do <laughs> want. That's something I was going to say. Yeah, all right, got to mention that. Right? There's, okay, so I do want to mention this. The Chicago Bears are 2-1 in their last three games. They've won their last two games. They've scored seven touchdowns in their last three games. Here are those seven touchdowns. In the game against Minnesota, which they lost by three on a last-second field goal, they got a passing touchdown on a fake punt by their punter, O'Donnell, a passing touchdown from Mitchell Trubisky, the number two overall pick in this year's draft. 
So those are the two touchdowns that the Bears scored against Minnesota. Against the Baltimore Ravens, they scored three touchdowns. A passing touchdown by their wide receiver, Tariq Cohen. <laughs> a passing touchdown from Mitchell Trubisky. And a 90-yard interception return by Adrian Amos. In last week's game, the Bears scored two touchdowns. A 75-yard fumble return by Eddie Jackson. And a 76-yard interception return by Eddie Jackson. So, therefore, seven touchdowns, four by the offense, three by the defense. Of the four touchdowns, two were pass touchdowns thrown by their quarterback. One was thrown by their punter, and one was thrown by their wide receiver. Those are the Bears' last seven touchdowns, and they actually won two of those three games. Could have won all three games. So they're not scoring touchdowns in a very conventional way. Um, the Saints are. And the Saints, <laughs> the Saints are. Uh, yeah. And Drew Brees is having a Drew Brees but, season so far. Yes. Uh, but the, the defense has played much better in last week. Much, course, much better than of last course they got the, Of course, they got the luxury of uh, not having to face Aaron Rodgers going into Lambeau Field and winning yeah. the game 26-17. So at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, which is different from Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome, do you think that the New Orleans Saints, who started this year 0-2 and have now won four straight, do they make it five straight at home against the Bears? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Because of and the, the, the biggest reason is how, as you just explained, Chicago has scored their points. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is, I mean, come on. Let, let, you know, Breeze is on a roll right now. Uh, they're, they're on a roll. Um, they're playing very, very – New England – or sorry, New Orleans is playing very well. And I just and Chicago's too inconsistent, so I, I I've got New Orleans on this game. Chicago is very consistent. They score touchdowns in unconventional yeah, ways, over, ways. And over and over again. But it's not it's not it's not going to be enough against the Saints. Not going to be enough. Now I will say this about Chicago, okay? And the Saints' offense has been humming as it usually does. It's fourth in the National Football League in total offense. I will say this about Chicago. Yes, these touchdowns are. Uh, coming in unconventional ways. But that almost is kind of a signature of a John Fox defense. And John Fox, the head coach of the Bears, has gotten a lot of heat, um, Mm -hmm. and rightfully so, but he hasn't had the talent. But if you give John Fox enough time, your defense will get a lot better. And the Bears right now are the top 10 in defense. They're 7th overall in defense, in total yards allowed. And as I mentioned, in these last three games, they have, in the last two games, they've had three defensive touchdowns. And that is a hallmark of a John Fox defense. Like, they turn you over, they turn it into points. And I'm starting to see that, or at least read about it, um, with the Chicago Bears. And seeing that, and doing the research on that, and seeing how the Bears are scoring points, um, it's not traditional. But the defense has gotten a lot better from what I've been reading. Seeing these defensive touchdowns is a very positive sign. Mitchell Trubisky is doing enough uh, to not put the Bears in bad positions over and over again. They're 3-4. and four, And remember, they, old, uh, they lost on the last second field goal to the Vikings. In week number one, reading about that... They should have beaten the Atlanta Falcons. They lost by six. They had a touchdown pass in the end zone dropped on the last drive of the game. They could easily 
be five and two right now. The Chicago Bears could be five and two. They're three and four. And I say that somehow that unconventional way they score touchdowns continues. They pick off Drew Brees at least a couple of times. They return one to the house. And I say the Bears smoke and mirrors magic works again. And they hold down that Saints offense enough to force a couple of big plays on defense. Because the Saints will allow you to have a couple of big plays on defense. I say that the Bears go on the road. I don't even know why. I really don't know why. (laughs) Right? But they'll win. I see the Bears go on the road to beat New Orleans. Uh, Just because of what I'm seeing with the Bears and their defense and how improved they are. I really can't wait to have this discussion tomorrow. I know, I know. When when the Bears lose thirty five to three, okay, yes. <laughs> all right, yes, alrighty, all right. So staying in the NFC South, the Atlanta Falcons take on the New York Jets. The Falcons started the year three and zero, and it looked as if we could pencil in the Falcons as the NFC representative of the Super Bowl again. Nope. They've lost three straight. Okay. And last week they were non-competitive on the road against the New New England Patriots. Non-competitive and um, literally had a Super Bowl hangover in facing the uh, Patriots in Foxborough. The New York Jets come into this game probably kicking themselves that they are not four in three. Uh, They lost to the Miami Dolphins in Miami last week, a game in which the Jets had a two-touchdown lead going into the fourth quarter at 28 to 14 they were outscored 17 to nothing in that fourth quarter by the Dolphins the Dolphins winning that game 31 to 28 but given that at three and four you'd almost have to consider uh, the start to the Jets season a success given the fact that yes. many pundits thought that um, the Jets wouldn't get to three wins uh, in this 2017 season they're at three and four right now they could have been four and three with a win against the Miami Dolphins if they had held on to a two-touchdown lead in the fourth quarter. The Falcons, they've lost three straight. They're leaking oil. Their offense isn't as dynamic as last year, and they go back on the road to the Northeast and face a Jets team that isn't as bad as advertised at MetLife Stadium. Do the Falcons right the ship, or does the Falcon ship take on more water in the swamps of Jersey on Sunday? I'm going with the Jets for this one. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, is that, is that, is that I more? I don't want them to win. <laughs> of course. I guess, is it more because you're more impressed with the Jets, or are the Falcons really worrying you? The Falcons are really worrying me. <laughs> really worrying me. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was excited about the Falcons this season. It's like, oh, here we go, just like you said. And they just, I don't know what happened to them, but they are, they're leaking at the sieve right now, and they, they're, they're, they're not correcting it. I mean, they looked horrible last week. They, they, they didn't look anything like the Atlanta Falcons. So I don't know what's going on. They gotta, they gotta get it fixed. But I, their, their season's done as far as I'm concerned. Real done, done. done. I, I'll be shocked if they make the playoffs. That's my prediction. You have the Panthers in that division. That oh, are not playing well. You have don't the Saints who are four and two, but I don't think uh, too many people have converted uh, to being Saints believers just yet, given their recent history. I have. have the I, I, I've converted on Saints. Yeah. I, I think Saints are going to do very well this year. So, okay. I, I 
you know, I, I don't want the Jets to win Sunday, but I think they're going to. I think there's some problems in Atlanta, and I don't know what why they can't figure it out, but they're, they're not having a good season, and I think that's going to continue. Maybe the reason why the Falcons are not having a good season so far uh, at 3-3 three and three is because they're playing AFC East teams. All of their three losses have come F&A. against the AFC East teams, and they're playing the New York Jets, an AFC East team. So... I guess I'm going to have to agree with you. Okay. Uh, well, and, yeah, we're and, agreeing on one. And, and take uh, the New York Jets. Um, the New York Jets coming into the season, uh, obviously, with questions at quarterback and running back and wide receiver and offensive line and defensive line and linebackers and secondary. Outside of that, they, you know, they were going to have a good season. Um, but... <laughs> Having Josh McCown again, I'm sorry, sorry about that. That's okay. Sorry, making you laugh. All right, so um, <laughs> it's almost as if the Jets are playing out what happened a couple of years ago without as much talent. They go into a season with a journeyman, veteran quarterback, not really having that much expectations, and. Two years ago, it was Ryan Fitzpatrick, who played well above expectations, and the Jets mm-hmm. uh, were that close to making the playoffs, and. That wasn't going to last because the year after they thought that uh, they were going to uh, strike, you know, lightning. Lightning was going to strike twice, and then Ryan Fitzpatrick had a terrible year, and uh, oh yeah, he did. And now we have an even older veteran at quarterback in Josh McCown, uh, thirty-eight years young. So for the thirty-somethings here, that's myself going woo. Okay, you know, I mean, thirty-eight's but not old. He, he's <laughs> been holding his own. I he mean, has. he has. He's been doing all right. I mean, it's not it's it's for this season. Um, yes. I mean, the Jets have to address some stuff for next season, yes. um, including the quarterback because they can't yeah, go into they, the next yeah. season no, with a thirty nine year old Josh McCown. No, okay, they, yeah, they can't. They got to address some stuff for next season. But this season, they're, they're they're holding their own. They're doing okay. Defense is playing much better than last season. So I, you know, I've been watching them pretty closely as I always do, and um, you know, they're playing some lights out defense, and that's what's been winning some games for them so and i think that's going to continue i think they have a good shot of getting the playoffs um i hope they don't uh because that would you know obviously affect my team but they have a good shot at it they, they have a really good shot at it I, i'm realistic and you know atlanta i would love for you to win sunday but i don't think that's going to happen all right so the jets have a pretty important couple of weeks they're at home they've played the falcons and then a short week they play, night, yeah. And they play another team of the AFC East who we've already talked about, but you don't have to say their name because you like them and you already picked them to beat the Raiders. No, I'm just kidding. They play the Bills on a short week on a Thursday night afterwards. So two home games for the Jets, winnable Falcons, Bills, but obviously losable, if that's a term. Uh, they can lose either of those games as well. We think that the Jets will win against the Atlanta Falcons, which uh, you know I'm probably... 51 49 sure that the jets are going to win part of me tells me just pick the falcons but uh the falcons have had a bad run against the afc east and yeah yeah, and uh we think that continues uh staying and by the way yes the bills are going to win thursday anyway moving on okay no problem so uh you don't have you don't have have to tune in next week okay at least for that prediction okay so uh staying in the nfc south it is an nfc south battle between the carolina panthers and the tampa bay buccaneers carolina 
is 4-3, and three, uh, coming off that unimpressive loss last week to the Chicago Bears where they scored all of three points. The Panthers lost that game despite the fact that they had the ball for over 38 minutes time of possession, almost had the ball for two-thirds of the game, but they did commit two turnovers that were turned into immediately Chicago Bears touchdowns. And now we have everything with uh, Cam Newton just a couple of days ago uh, being brusque uh, with a question and saying next question and ending the interview segment with the media a couple of days ago. I don't read too much into it, uh, but uh, Cam Newton doesn't do himself any favors. Of course, he had what happened a couple of weeks ago where he was dismissive uh, of a, uh, a reporter, a female reporter at the Charlotte Observer, and that caused a firestorm. So with Cam Newton, something almost always follows him. Uh, but the Panthers are 4-3. and three. Uh, The Buccaneers coming off that loss last week are 2-4. and four. But I don't think we can bury the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yet. Uh, but the Buccaneers uh, do need a win in the worst way so they don't get uh, caught too far behind in the NFC South race. It's Carolina and Tampa Bay uh, right near you. Right, yeah. in Tampa, near you, uh, uh, in Tampa, Florida, and you're in Port Ritchie, Florida. Uh, do you see forty minutes away? Just forty minutes away. Uh, so, uh, did you see enough from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to think that they can bounce back uh, from the loss against the Bills yes. and defeat the Carolina Panthers at home? Yes, I, I I have Tampa in this game. You have Tampa in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tampa's offense has been wonderful. Yeah, uh, this it's been great. Has been absolutely was, wonderful. They 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 played good last week. I mean, we we closed the game out, but they 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 could score. They definitely can. Uh, they can allow points. Yeah. <laughs> they can definitely That's allow it. points uh, as well. But the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, have been scoring points at uh, or at least uh, gaining yards at an unbelievable yeah. clip. Second. Only behind the New England Patriots, Patriots. Yeah. in total offense this season, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is something that you probably wouldn't think about, given that, yes, Jameis Winston is uh, coming into his own at quarterback, but they had questions at running back with Doug Martin and Jaquiz Rogers, who's going to get the lion's share of the carries. They only rush for 80 yards per game, but uh, the Buccaneers, and one of the games Ryan Fitzpatrick did play um, against Arizona where they lost, uh, the Buccaneers are putting up almost uh, – 400 yards of offense, 392.8. Uh, Jameis Winston is doing well throwing the ball. Of course, he has Mike Evans um, at wide receiver. Cameron Brait, a really good tight end. And, uh, you know, something's just not, you know, sitting well with me about kind of the Carolina Panthers um, and that atmosphere in Carolina. Because when Carolina wins, it's almost uh. as if Carolina goes as Cam Newton goes, obviously. But not just on the field, but just with, like, attitude and demeanor. You know, when Cam Newton's feeling well, the Panthers usually play well. When Cam Newton's kind of just being, you know, dismissive and, you know, talking like this and whatever, it almost seems as if it brings down the whole team. And I don't know. I'm just not getting a really good vibe from Carolina right now. No, me neither. And, you know, what's happened, what happened with Cam a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was very disappointed at how Carolina reacted to, to that whole situation. Um, and... Cam lets the press get to them. And in this case, I think he, I'm I'm glad they did. I'm glad everybody got to him. And I think that, you know, and then it's affecting his play and you can definitely see that. So, um, I, they, they aren't playing well right now. So, and I think that's going to continue Sunday. I think Tampa is going to outscore them. 
easily. Yeah, easily. yeah. If it, if it if it is a shootout, I think it is a game that yeah. the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers can win. And even if it's not, yep. I do give Tampa the slight edge yep. uh, in the game against the Carolina Panthers. Uh, those are the 1 o'clock games heading to the 4 o'clock games uh, in the Pacific Northwest. The Houston Texans at 3-3 three and three take on the Seattle Seahawks at 4-2. and two. Uh, The news for the Houston Texans was supposed to be good coming into this week. You had Deshaun Watson playing very well uh, as a rookie. 15 mm-hmm. touchdowns, 5 interceptions, 12 touchdowns, and only 2 interceptions in his last 3 games. They get all-pro left tackle Dwayne Brown back after missing the first six games he was holding out, but he is back with the Houston Texans to be the anchor to that offensive line. Yes, they lost J.J. Watt a few weeks ago uh, to a season-ending leg injury, but the vibe was supposed to be good with the Houston Texans this week. And then (coughs) it was revealed just yesterday the news Uh... of the comments made by their owner, Bob McNair, uh, which upset many of the Houston Texans players. Reports are uh, that the team as a whole, or at least a lot of the players as a whole, had to be convinced uh, not to uh, to convince to practice and not leave practice and walk out of practice. And uh, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, arguably their best player, uh, wide receiver, did not participate in practice. Of course, the Texans said, oh, it was a personal day, Uh, you know, typical Mm -hmm. PR spin. (laughs) Okay, but uh, DeAndre Hopkins uh, did not down tools. He down tools, did not show up uh, to practice and was uh, very upset and made that known. Um, and, uh, the, you know, there are reports now that uh, there will be some sort of demonstration uh, that the Houston Texans players will make uh, on Sunday. Uh, I know one report, one Yahoo report mentioned that it's possible that some of the players may play without the Houston Texans logo uh, on their helmets and just have, like, a bare blue helmet. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, that was a report uh, on Yahoo Sports. So the news was supposed to be good for the Texans and uh, uh, their own owner uh, sabotaged that. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks are 4-2, and two, and despite the fact that their offensive line is still being held up by spit and scotch tape, uh, the Seahawks <laughs> are still winning games, uh, and, and uh, Russell Wilson uh, is the main reason for that. So is there any way the Houston Texans can kind of put this uh, storm, and I guess, I, you know what, that's a poor choice of words given um, uh, uh, Hurricane Harvey that hit yeah. uh, Houston. Can the, understood. Yeah, can the Houston Texans just put all of these distractions uh, caused by their own owner aside and be able to do well against the Seattle Seahawks uh, to the point where they can rally for a victory or is Seattle just better and or is what just happened the past 24 hours just too much for the Texans to overcome? You know, um, that's, you know, what I, when you initially sent me this stuff, I, 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 this is before I, you know, what hit, the Houston owner had said, and I picked Houston to win this game. And then my mind changed after what the owner said and what I was reading, you know, online and, and reading what they, I mean, I've read a couple reports that some of the players just aren't even going to show. So um, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to happen. We'll see. Um, it, I'm going to pick Seattle um, because I don't think the Houston players are going to put, 100% into this game, kind of in protest. Um, I, I do think that. I mean, they're really upset. I mean, a lot of them have come out and said, you know, 
what the heck? You know, what are you doing here? Um, it's a lot of turmoil. Um, it's going to be tough for them to overcome that. And, you know, honestly, having not having Watt there is, is big in this situation yeah. because he's a captain. He's a uniting player. He, 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 he is the core, he is the backbone of that team, offense and defense. Watt's the backbone of that team. And him not playing and him not being there, that hurts them mentally. So I think between that and, and what has just been said, I, yeah, I, you got to go with Seattle on this. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. I think Seattle, uh, it's hard to pick against Seattle when Seattle's playing at home uh, to yeah. begin with. Uh, and I think even without uh, what had occurred uh, with uh, the Houston Texans owner that Seattle was probably going to be a little bit too much uh, for Deshaun Watson, who's playing well, but he is, he is very well, hasn't played at least professionally in an atmosphere like a uh, century link field in Seattle with that noise, but at least on the collegiate level, he's played in many big games has been unflappable in those big games. And I think Deshaun Watson can handle that okay uh but i think seattle is uh, uh they are not necessarily hitting on all the right cylinders but I, that's something that i guess for the past couple of years we've said about the seattle seahawks that yeah they're finding ways to win they may not look the most impressive but in, they're fine they're closing out games yeah, and finding yeah. ways to win and uh Last week wasn't that hard. They were playing the New York Giants. Uh, so, yeah, um, yeah to win that game. Uh, yeah. Usually, uh, uh, Seattle going on the road to play an East Coast game uh, is usually tricky, but uh, not the case last week with the Giants. Um, Helped them to seven points. I think Seattle wins this game uh, as well. So, we both picked Seattle. Uh, in our nation's capital, the Dallas Cowboys take on the uh, Washington professional football team. Uh, the ongoing drama and continuing mess on whether Ezekiel Elliott will play, won't play, will his suspension be upheld, injunctions, everything in the courts, uh, Ezekiel Elliott will play um, and had his suspension delayed once more. Uh, so Ezekiel Elliott will play. The Cowboys are 3-3. Three and three. Washington is also 3-3. Three and three. Sometimes Washington has looked really, really good. A few weeks ago, one at home on Sunday night against the Oakland Raiders and were very convincing uh, mm -hmm. in doing mm -hmm. so. Uh, but Washington is 3-3, three and three, coming off their loss on Monday Night Football against the Philadelphia Eagles, who are lighting up the National oh. Football League. Uh, so Washington is 3-3. Three and three, So is Dallas, which team gets to 4-3 in, not in our nation's capital, but close to our nation's capital in Landover, Maryland. Dallas against Washington, one of the oldest rivalries in the NFL, and a pretty pivotal game. Winner gets to 4-3 and, and has the tiebreaker temporarily over the other. So Dallas and Washington, your thoughts on that game? This is the toughest, toughest pick. <laughs> Excuse me, toughest pick this week. Um, I'm going to go with Washington. And I'm weakly saying Washington. I, I, I'm giving it to Washington because they're home. Yeah. Um, Dallas should win it. But for something's telling me Washington's defense is going to be a little bit more than Dallas can handle. Yeah. Even though. It's just, it's just a gut feeling on that one. Um, and, and on paper, Dallas should win this. But 
I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm going. I'm going with Washington on this. You know, I don't know why. Yeah, you know, I I agree. I I'm taking Washington uh, as well. Three and three. Uh, there's the famous uh, Bill Parcells saying, where and I'm paraphrasing. Uh, uh, it's your record says who you are. Oh, you are what your record is. Yeah. Okay. And no matter what excuses you may want to make for why you are, you have the record you have. It's not enough. There's a reason why you have the record that you have, but I don't think the three and three for Dallas and the three and three for Washington are created equal. Uh, I agree. Yeah, Washington's beaten good teams. They've beaten yeah. the L.A. Rams on the road, a team that beat the mm-hmm. Cowboys in Dallas. Yeah, uh, and, and the Rams, um, you know, they're playing well. Uh, we'll get to very talk about well them uh, 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 on a later show. They beat Oakland, as I mentioned. Uh, they beat the 49ers, who hasn't beaten the 49ers. Uh, <laughs> two of their, right, yeah. Two of their three losses uh, for Washington have been to the Philadelphia Eagles, who are playing so very well. And uh, Washington's third loss was on a Monday night, a close Monday night loss to uh, Kansas City. Very close loss. Uh, so I think Washington's playing very well, despite the fact that they're 500. I don't think the Cowboys are playing well, uh, even though they're 500. No. And maybe... Uh, this is the week that they can turn their season around, even though it's not as if they are in a terrible position. Uh, but I don't think the Cowboys are playing that well, uh, this season. And, you know, their losses are losses that you can explain off. Denver, uh, on the road, lost to the LA Rams. Um, when at the time you thought they lost to the LA Rams, but then now we realize the Rams are decent. Mm, they're decent. They're a decent. They're, they're decent. They're we'll a leave decent it at decent. I don't know about good. We'll leave it at they're decent. decent. <laughs> okay. They're playing um, better than I thought they would play this year. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. And and they beat uh, and they lost to Green Bay. The Cowboys yeah. three wins. Season opener against a Giants team that we know is now rancid. They went on the road and defeated Arizona, a team that has not been playing well. And now Carson no. Palmer is gone, and they beat the Forty ers last week, forty to ten. Every team should beat the 49ers 40 to 10 this season. Yeah. Um, so I don't think the three and three uh, records for the Cowboys and, and Washington are equal. And I think Washington's playing better. Um, and, I agree. I and, think they and are. I too. Think, and I think Washington. Defense, defense, yes, much better. Yes. Washington's defense playing way better You're than right. Dallas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think uh, Washington wins the game. We are in agreement on that. The Sunday night game involves a team that has had a whole lot of drama this season from Le'Veon Bell's, Le'Veon Bell's contract to Ben Roethlisberger throwing five interceptions in a game and wondering if he still has it uh, to one of their wide receivers, Marte. Davis Bryant responding to someone on social media and putting down one of his teammates as wide receiver saying he's better than the wide receiver that is getting much more attention now, but had to clarify it and say, no, we're good. Uh, Of course, the game before the game they played against the Chicago Bears, the team decided to stay in the locker room as the national anthem played. So many distractions, but the Pittsburgh Steelers are five and two despite all. All of that, and they go into the Motor City and take on the Detroit Lions on Sunday night. And the Lions are three and three. They started the season two and zero. They've lost three of their last four. It started with that controversial loss to the Atlanta Falcons, where they thought they scored the game-winning touchdown with under ten seconds to go. But Golden Tate was ruled short of the goal line. The Lions had no timeouts. The play ended with less than ten seconds to go. So by rule, they had a ten-second runoff. The game ended. The Falcons won. The Lions were two and zero. Then they went to two and one, and now they're three 
and three. So the Steelers and the Lions, the Steelers five and two. It almost it looks as if the Steelers have a clear path to the division title, uh, given the Ravens uh, being mediocre, given the Bengals being mediocre, and given the Browns being a non-existent football franchise. They're an NFL team in name only. They're winless. They may be winless for the entire season. So the Steelers have a clear path in division, in my opinion. Do you think they have a clear path in this game on Sunday night in Detroit against the Lions? Yes, they go to 6-2. and two. Okay, all right, fair enough. Uh, what do you make of everything that has happened with the Pittsburgh Steelers? I didn't even mention Antonio Brown throwing a hissy fit a few <laughs> games ago. Antonio Brown always throws hissy fits. <laughs> right. You know, not getting the ball. And, and, no, sit yeah. down, Antonio. So, the, yeah. well, you, know, you know why that, that they've overcome all this? Their yes. coach, plain and simple. It's their coach. And he doesn't let these distractions affect their play. Um, Roethlisberger, I mean, the interceptions, he th- I, yeah, they're making a big deal about it, but you know what? He throws a lot of interceptions. He always has. So it's like a lot of this, I think, is just a lot of hype, um, and, and they still, they're still winning, and they're winning well. So I, they, they, they have the division. Uh, they're they're going to be the – I think they are going to be one of the teams to be in, in the playoffs in the AFC. So um, – and I don't think that's going to change. Uh, I think they stay on course and, I mean, looking at their schedule, yeah, yeah, they've got this. So And so they beat Detroit handily. I think they'll handily, handle Detroit easily on Sunday. I think this is Detroit's most important game of the season. I agree, but they're not going to do it. <laughs> this is Detroit's most important game of the season. Uh, they're at 500. They know that they had a good start to the season. They could have been 3-0. and They're now 3-3. and Their offense was for years. We've talked about as one of the more dynamic offenses. Um, yes. Again, you're so choked up about the Lions offense. I know. Um, right? The Lions offense with Matthew Stafford not playing at 100% uh, when, you know, more often than not, you see Matt Stafford limping somewhere or yeah. his hand hurt. But he's one of the toughest customers uh, in is. the National Football League. And that's interesting to and say. And the high, highest paid uh, uh, yes, quarterback. Yes, paid and the very football. handsomely. Yeah. Which, highest in a way, endears himself to a lot more fans. Because he is the highest paid yeah. player, yet he's someone who plays through injuries and yes. uh, takes a he, beating. He does. He, I, I, I have a lot of respect for Matthew Stafford, um, uh, but I, it just—it's not going to be enough Sunday. Yeah, but yeah. the offense now is twenty-sixth uh, uh, in the National <laughs> Football League. They—they they just don't have a run game. They haven't. You can argue they haven't had a run game since Barry Sanders left. You can really argue that. That's not even a stretch. <laughs> Uh, that they have not had a run game since Barry yeah, Sanders retired. I, I can't really not a stretch. That is not a stretch. It's not. Um, and it's such an important juncture because the Steelers, sorry, the Lions after this game uh, have the Packers on the road on a Monday night, but that's a uh, Packers team without uh, Aaron Rodgers, of course. They're at home against Cleveland, on the road against Chicago, then at home against Minnesota, than before road games against Baltimore and Tampa Bay. So they can go on a roll here. But, of course, they, they, have, they have the Steelers right before the stretch of games that I just mentioned. Um, I, I think this game will be a lot closer um, than people might think. This is a Steelers mm-hmm. team that 
did lose to the Chicago Bears in overtime a few weeks ago. Uh, but the, you're right, the Steelers have righted the ship a little bit. They went on the road, uh, defeated the Kansas City Chiefs a couple of weeks ago when the Chiefs were undefeated and the Steelers went on the road uh, and won that game. Uh, the Steelers are playing well, uh, defeated Cincinnati handily by a couple of touchdowns. I don't know why I have a feeling that the Lions do step up on Sunday night. But I do think the Lions do step up on Sunday night Keep their season alive for another week because hmm. Minnesota is not going to blow the doors off in the NFC no. North. No, they're no. not. Um, and I do think uh, somehow that the Lions come away with a win on Sunday night. Um, so I'm taking the Detroit Lions. Um, on Monday night, uh, we have an AFC West showdown uh, between the Denver Broncos and the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs were the last team uh, to lose in the National Football League, but they come into the game losing two straight games. But that's not the Denver Broncos. They come into this game after a humbling loss to the Los Angeles Chargers, a game in which the Broncos scored a grand total of zero points, losing Mm -hmm. 21 to nothing to a Los Angeles Chargers team that was struggling to actually have a real home field advantage as most of their home games, the visiting fans have almost outnumbered the fans of the Chargers uh, in Los Angeles. But uh, the Chargers came up big. Uh, They've actually come up big the last couple of weeks, winning at Oakland and then defeating the Denver Broncos um, at home quote-unquote home. Uh, Anytime you think that Trevor Simeon is the quarterback for the Denver Broncos' unquestioned leader, you know, there'll be games where the Broncos' offense is non-existent. Last week, it was non-existent to the point where they didn't score. Now they have to go into Kansas City, which is a loud atmosphere anyways, and it's a Monday night against a Kansas City Chiefs team that comes into the game losing two straight. So you have the Broncos, who still have the best defense in the National Football League statistically, against the Kansas City Chiefs, who I believe second in the National Football League or third in the National Football League. Oh, excuse me. They rank top five in rushing offense and passing offense in the National Football League. So you have a dynamic Chiefs offense, a dynamic Broncos defense. Which of those units will play better and be able to lift its team to a victory, the Chiefs or the Broncos? Chiefs. 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 <laughs> right. So they break their two-game losing streak yeah. uh, against uh, the yeah. uh, AFC West rival in, um, in yep. uh, Denver. You've been high on the Chiefs the past few years, um, and for good reason. You know, they've given you reason uh, to be high on them the last uh, couple of years. Are you, is there any concern uh, about the Chiefs going into this game, given that they've lost two straight games, uh, losing to the Steelers and then losing that last second, uh, in that last second loss to the Oakland Raiders? Any real concerns about the Chiefs or? You think no, I, I, I don't see, no, I, I don't see any really concerns. I don't see them going, losing three in a row though. That I was a little shocked with the two in a row. Um, Denver, yeah, I, again, on paper, Denver's defense is number one, but they're not scoring points. So, um, not scoring enough points. So I, it's hard to play an arrowhead. Um, and Denver's offense is just, I don't know what's happened to it, but they need to fix it. And, um, you know, Denver's defense is good. No, no one will argue that, but it's not going to be enough to, to to 
win out this year. It's just not because they don't have before they had the offense to back up that great defense. They don't have it now. They just don't. And, you know, all these games that everybody's like, oh, Denver, Denver, Denver. I mean, the Bills beat Denver, and no one expected the Bills to beat Denver. I mean, teams are beating them that no one expects them to beat, and they're beating them. Um, and, yeah, I mean, to get shut out, I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah, to get shut out by the Los Angeles Chargers in Carson, exactly. California, that, that, that set that, off alarms for me. <laughs> yeah, huge alarms. There's some problems in Denver that have got to be fixed, and <laughs> – Kansas City's going to take advantage of that. So, um, yeah, Kansas City has this game. Yeah, that, that set off alarms. I know the first touchdown that the Chargers scored was on a punt return, so the Denver defense really only allowed uh, 14 points uh, but lost 21 to nothing. But that zero uh, on the uh, uh, column for points uh, really is a concern uh, for uh, the Denver Broncos. They don't really run the ball that well. Uh, and, they, and, they, and Trevor Simeon, I think, is only as good – as the run game. Not necessarily as good as the defense for Denver. Trevor Simeon, quarterback, is only as good as the run game. I agree with you on that. Um, and they're not producing. C.J. Anderson not really producing no. um, uh, at the running back spot. He did have a 100-yard game uh, in week two. Uh, but the last four weeks, 36 yards, 95 yards in the win against Oakland, nine carries for 17 yards um, in a shocking loss to the New York Giants. I shouldn't even, I should have even mentioned that they lost at home to the New York. Giants. Oh yeah. I forgot and about the New that York one. Giants were winless and rudderless. Um, and the Giants went all the road in Denver and won that game. Kudos to the Giants for winning that yeah. game when I'm sure literally outside of their locker room, no one thought um, most Giants fans didn't think that they were going to go on the road and win at uh, mile high stadium. And they did just that. So coming to this game, losing, to a winless Giants team and they're getting shut out by the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, absolute alarm bells go off for me uh, given those results. And uh, go, and the remedy is not going into Arrowhead Stadium on a Monday night. Um, yeah. oh. And I think uh, the Kansas City Chiefs win that game and Denver is going to have to ask some serious questions. Um, if they lose that game, they'll be 3-4 and four with a really good defense but an offense that may cause their season to be a lost season. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah. And if so... They do have a first-round draft pick at quarterback from last year, Paxton Lynch. If it becomes a lost season, when do you go to uh, a person whom you drafted uh, in the first round at quarterback? So, uh, important game for Denver. Uh, all these games are important, but uh, if they lose this game, uh, a lot of questions have to be asked and then answered um, for the Denver Broncos. I'm with you. I take the uh, Kansas City Chiefs to win the game uh, on Monday night. So, to recap, uh, we agree on, I believe, four of the eight. We agree that the Jets will beat the Falcons. We'll see about that. Uh, we believe Tampa will beat Carolina. Uh, Seattle will beat Houston. Washington will beat Dallas and Kansas City over uh, Denver. So that's five games. We disagree on Pittsburgh and Detroit. You take Pittsburgh. I take Detroit. Uh, disagree on the Chicago-New Orleans game. For some reason, maybe it's because I'm high on something. Um, I'm taking the Bears in the Superdome against the Saints, and you will text me when the Saints win by 1,000. And um, you'll probably also text me if and when the Bills defeat the mm -hmm. Raiders, which I'm fairly confident, somewhat confident, 
okay, kind of confident that the Oakland Raiders mm-hmm. can go on the road and defeat Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, Buffalo. But we'll see. All right, we'll see. So that's our third down segment. And now off to our fourth down segment. And uh, if you're not familiar with the show or if you've just forgotten what our fourth down segment consists of, I pose a hypothetical situation uh, to Holly Culbertson, my co-host, and she will decide whether this hypothetical situation will come true and will go for it on this fourth down or that this hypothetical situation that I propose to her won't happen and she will punt it. So our hypothetical uh, situation involves the Philadelphia Eagles and uh, the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, Carson Wentz, who currently leads the National Football League in touchdown passes with 17 touchdown passes. Now, I'm going to take you all the way back to 1957. <laughs> why am I doing that? Yeah, because, why, are you doing why that? am I doing that? Because Johnny Unitas in 1957 yeah. led the National Football League in touchdown passes. Johnny Unitas was in his second season in the National Football League that year. Since then, only a few quarterbacks since 1957 have led the NFL in touchdown passes in their second season. Dan Marino, in 1984, when he threw a then-NFL record 48 touchdown passes, uh, led the NFL in touchdown passes in his second season. That also happened with Kurt Warner in his MVP season of 1999 when he led the NFL in touchdown passes. Uh, He was in his second season. Dante Culpepper also threw, uh, led the National Football League in touchdown passes in his second season, the year after Kurt Warner led the NFL in touchdown passes in 1999. Dante Culpepper did that uh, in 2000. And in 2005, Carson Palmer led the National Football League in touchdown passes. So since 1958, only four quarterbacks have led the NFL in touchdown passes in their second season as a pro. My hypothetical to you is this. Carson Wentz, who leads the NFL in touchdown passes right now at 17, will become the fifth quarterback since 1958 to lead the NFL in touchdown passes while playing in his second year as a pro in the National Football League. So Carson Wentz will end the season leading the NFL in touchdown passes. Are you going for it or are you punting? I'm going for it. Going for it. Going for it. (laughs) All right. What makes you think that Carson Wentz will hold off people like Tom Brady, who has 15, Deshaun Watson has 15? Why do you think Carson Wentz will, without household names as wide receivers, why do you think? Because he has 17 right now without household name receivers. Okay. Uh, I've been watching, i actually been watching Philly, and I'm not a big Philly fan, but I've been watching them just because. They're on fire. I think they're, they're probably the best team in the NFL right now, to be exactly. honest with you. Yeah. Um, and watching Wentz this year has been like, wow, where did you come from? You know, and he's, you can see it. He's driven. He's he's going to do it this year. I, th- there's nothing stopping Philly this year. And, um, I yeah, I could definitely see him leading 
the NFL in touchdown passes this year, without a doubt. More than, without, Tom, more than Tom Brady? Yeah, yeah, yeah because all right, Brady's been getting sacked. His offensive line has not been great this year, so that's going to take away on his passes. Yes. So and, and Wentz has not been getting sacked. So, you know, you, you got to look at all those things. So, um, and I, you know, we all know that I can't stand New England, but some <laughs> my gut is telling me Brady is not going to be playing a full season. I don't know yeah. why. <laughs> is that your Buffalo Bill fan in you hoping that Tom Brady doesn't no, make it to no. uh, week seven? Watching his oh, you haven't been watching. So no, I haven't. I really haven't. <laughs> He's been getting hit hard, dude. I mean, he got knocked down last week, and he 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 sat for a minute. I was like, oh, he's been his offensive line needs to to, to step it up. So, um, or he's going to be on the ground more. So, and that's really going to affect his passing. Um, he's had a lot of, of of blocked passes too this season. So that that's oops, sorry about that. <laughs> My computer. Um, no, you're good. You're good. Nothing. You um, nothing sounded yeah. irregular. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I could definitely see Wentz leading the NFL. Well, well, I guess I should have mentioned even before I uh, made you uh, have the decision, you mentioned that the Patriots offensive line and Brady being sacked. Uh, in that game that the Eagles won against Washington on Monday night, uh, they did suffer a big loss. Um, their uh, all-pro Jason Peters left tackle yes. uh, yep. out for the season. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, that could affect Carson Wentz and his ability to it continue could, to But yeah, I don't know. I'm still I'm still gonna go for it. I'm still gonna go for it. You're still gonna go for it. Okay, yeah, despite Jason Peters, left tackle out for the season. Uh all right. Yep. Uh Carson Wentz, uh, according to Holly, will finish the season ahead of people like Tom Brady, uh, and Deshaun Watson and uh well definitely Aaron Rodgers, because last season's well, yeah, Aaron's, in touchdown yeah. passes is out for the well, season. Well if Aaron was in this still, if Aaron was in the mix still, I would have punted it. You would have punted it. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. So uh, you think the uh, Eagles uh, steam train continues on? Um, we did not talk about the Eagles game uh, this week. They're playing the 49ers. I, I guess we can well, chalk up uh, the, yeah, that's the Eagles the and that's give Carson Wentz maybe another two to four touchdowns. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At least. All right. Against uh, San Francisco, who, if they lose, uh, they will have lost each of the first eight games and halfway to the ignominious perfect season um, at 0-8. Uh, same with the Cleveland Browns, who uh, are playing in England against the Minnesota Vikings. Cleveland 0-7, Minnesota is 5-2. and So uh, that will do it for our first down in distance of the 2017 NFL season. Um, I can't promise you that I will be tuning in to the National Football League, but I think I will be tuning in a little bit more because I do um, I, I do know a number of the players uh, in the National Football League, and they're good guys. Uh, a lot of them are really good guys and good people. Um, and I do like the game of football, um, so it is that dichotomy that I have to kind of uh, wrestle with, with uh, the corporate side of the National Football league with the labor in the national football league and knowing that a good number of these uh young men are and and veterans are are good guys and good people and i do uh love talking about their stories and reporting on them and interviewing them uh so i'm almost certain that i'll watch a little bit of live nfl uh action this week only for the fact that i need to come back soon and talk trash to you when the Raiders beat the bills um yeah whatever (laughs) okay so right okay fair enough okay well i am sitting down 
I know, but uh, I know, I know, I know, I know, figuratively. All right. Uh, I can't thank you enough, Holly, for um, expressing your opinions on what has been going on in the National Football League on the um, uh, social activist side and uh, the corporate side of the National Football League and uh, and giving your perspective, uh, being uh, a veteran and uh, serving our country. And, and I, I can't thank you enough for uh, being a part of the conversation that I brought up to begin the show. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I hope you enjoy uh, uh, watching football this week. And, again, I can't thank you enough for uh, being a part of Down and Distance for another year. Can't believe it. Woo-hoo! Four years. <laughs> All right, yes. Uh, so, um, for Holly Culbertson, my name is Adeshina Koike. Tune in next time for the latest installment of uh, Down and Distance on a lot of sports talk. And we thank you so very much for reaching this point of the show which is the end of the show which i said i want to be 90 minutes we're just a little bit over an hour and a half but that's okay that's okay we provided you some entertainment some fun to the point where i made holly culbertson choke all right and cough okay but no i mean holly feel better feel better thank you okay yes all right for holly i'm addy thank you so very much for tuning in to down a distance on a lot of sports talk we'll see you soon take care 